I welcome this reading of the business record for the week of October 26, 2023. I'm Pat Steele. All material heard on IRIS is intended for the use of listeners with print disabilities. And here's our first story. Mormon Church buys more land in Johnston. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, also known as the Mormon Church, has purchased additional land in Johnston, Polk County Real Estate Records show. The group, whose headquarters is in Salt Lake City, Utah, paid Paul and Lori Rottenberg $1.37 million for property located at 9050 Northwest 62nd Avenue in Johnston. The nearly 10-acre parcel is valued at $106,000. The vacant land is at J950 Northwest 62nd Avenue. That most recent transaction was recorded on October 16th. In other real estate news from Polk County, Greg and Lisa Highsmith paid KRM Development just over $1 million for property at 1205 Northeast 24th Court in Grimes. The property includes a 1,906-square-foot house whose construction was completed in 2023. Cardinal Green Investments, located in Menlo Park, California, paid Bernard J. Connolly family $1.72 million for property at 4415 Douglas Avenue in Des Moines. It's a 2.2-acre parcel, includes a 17,900-square-foot Retail store built in 1997. The property is currently occupied by the drugstore uh, chain Walgreens, and that property is valued at $2.7 million. James Hollinghead Jr. and Susan Hollingshead paid the Holderman Family Trust just over $1 million for property at 1774 South 40th Court in West Des Moines. The nearly one-acre parcel includes a 2,200 single-family home built in 2017. Denny Elwell family, located in Ankeny, paid Mary Brendelen $1.8 million for property east of U.S. Highway 69 and north of Northeast 142nd Avenue in Alleman. Records show the property includes 75 acres of farm ground. The Graham Group, located in Des Moines, paid the RDB Trust $6.5 million for property at 6640 and 6680 Northeast 56th Street in Altoona. The property, which includes mostly farmland, is an area that has experienced a large amount of industrial development in the past five years. That transaction was recorded on the 18th of October. And finally, in Polk County, the Ankeny Community School District paid DRA properties $1.29 million for 15 acres located on the west side of Northeast 29th Street and about one quarter mile north of Northeast 102nd Avenue. Dallas County Real Estate News, WCKLC Red Robin, located in West Des Moines, paid JMDLC $1.39 million for Lot 2 in the Galleria at Jordan Creek. An exact address for this property was not available. That transaction was recorded on the 16th of October. And finally, in Dallas County, Genuine Properties, located in Waukee, paid Next Phase Development, 800 Interstate Parkway, LLC, $1.47 million for property at 810 Interstate Parkway in Waukee. The property is located just south of Interstate Highway 80, and that transaction is recorded 
on October 17th. Let's look at your real estate news from this week of the business record. Business conditions at architectural firms declined again in September. The score of 44.8 for September is the lowest score reported since December of 2020 during the height of the pandemic. Any score below 50 indicates decreasing business conditions, and this score indicates a significant increase in firms reporting declining billings. Jessica Reinhardt, AIA Iowa Executive Director, said in a prepared statement, The Midwestern states, including Iowa, continue to see a decline in billings, the sharpest across the United States since the fourth quarter of 2021 during the pandemic. The good news for Iowa business is that the Midwest is seeing the least decline. This is typical based on historical data. The Midwest is somewhat insulated from large shifts in the market. The conversion of office buildings into residential uses is taking competitive office space off of the market and shrinking the amount of space available to lease or buy, especially in Des Moines Central Business District, a local commercial real estate broker said. Justin Losner, Senior Managing Director at JLL's Des Moines office, said, Three years from now, we could be looking at a pretty significantly different office space supply downtown. And there's not much new building going on right now, especially west or downtown. At the end of the day, I think the pond is shrinking, Losner said, about the amount of office space in Des Moines Central Business District. In September, Ruan announced that the 14-story 2 Ruan Center at 601 Locust Street would be converted from office space to multifamily. Two Ruan Center has about 256,000 square feet of space, a large portion of which is vacant. Converting the space to a different use means less office space in the market as well as a decrease in vacant space. Wells Fargo in March listed five downtown properties for sale, and Losner said there has been some interest in converting at least one of the office buildings to multifamily. In addition, the city of Des Moines plans on purchasing Nationwide's former office building and parking space, or parking garage, I should say, at 100 Locust Street and 1300 Mulberry Street, respectively. The city plans to consolidate office space as well as relocate the police headquarters to office building. The move will likely mean the redevelopment of the Argonne Armory Building at 602 Robert D. Ray Drive and Police Station at 25 East Court Avenue. Losner said, I don't think those buildings will remain as offices. There will probably be opportunities to do some conversions in mixed-use development. Converting office space to multifamily or other uses as well as filling vacant space will help shrink the amount of empty space downtown, Losner said. In the third quarter, 14.2% of the over 11 million square feet of downtown office space was vacant, according to JLL's third quarter office report. The vacancy rate was similar in the second quarter. The overall, the Des Moines Metro's office vacancy was 14.4%, according to the report. And this is an article written by Kathy Bolton, who is a senior staff writer at the Business Record. USA Skating Board, the national governing body for skateboarding in the United States, will certify Lorisden Skate Park to hold major skateboarding events and com- competitions during the event on Sunday. USA Skateboarding's Skate Park Performance and Accreditation Rating for Certification Program is centered on a 75-point checklist. According to a news release, this checklist evaluates how a park fosters safety, inclusivity, and a sense of community. 
It also examines technical and safety requirements necessary for professional and amateur competitions. As the sport of skateboarding grows and evolves, Polk County is committed to ensuring Lauriston Skate Park keeps pace with that evolution. And that's a prepared statement from Angela Connolly, Polk County Board of Supervisor member. She added, The certification will be a literal and figurative sign we are ready to host skaters of all ski levels from beginners, all skill levels, I should say, from beginners to world-class athletes. The event on Sunday We'll start at 11 a.m. at the skate park where a plaque will be installed and there will be a meet and greet with two professional skateboarders. Des Moines-based Two Rivers Marketing announced it will promote longtime executives Brad Olson and Rachel Adams to president and vice president, respectively. The restructuring comes after 18 months after Two Rivers Marketing joined the VGM group family of companies. According to a news release, Olson will replace former Two Rivers President Brian Jones, who was recently promoted to president of VGM Group Services. Olson has worked for Two Rivers Marketing for 22 years, most recently as vice president, and will lead the agency's strategic planning, drive growth initiatives, and champion agency culture, the release said. Adams will oversee the will oversee the agency's client services, integrated marketing services, and business development efforts. Two Rivers continues to evolve in an effort to meet the ever-changing needs of our clients, Olson said in a news release. I believe the new leadership structure will enable us to grow in new areas, expand our client experience, operate in a more integrated way, drive greater efficiencies, and further strengthen our position as a leading B2B marketing agency. Two Rivers Marketing is a fully integrated business-to-business agency focused on the construction, industrial manufacturing, energy, transportation, finance, and agriculture industries, including several Fortune 500 companies. Two Rivers also released its new leadership structure. Uh, Patrick McGill is now the Vice President of Integrated Marketing. Nathan Huss, the Vice President of New Business Development. Patty Griffith, Vice President of Client Services, Jennifer Cunningham, Vice President of Operations, and Julie Hewton, now the Vice President of People, Talent, and Culture at Two Rivers Marketing. In other articles in the business record, Envision Architecture relocating to the former downtown Des Moines Fire Station. Much of the building has been unoccupied for several years. This is a story written by Kathy Bolton of the business record. During the past couple of years, Envision Architectures had a growth problem, and that's not been a negative one. Envision now has a staff of about 75, a 25% jump from a year ago, said Mike Bechtel, a partner in the firm. The company is adding an office in Iowa City, complementing its locations in Waterloo and Des Moines. As staff and desk were added to Des Moines office, located at 303 Watson Powell Jr. Way in downtown, Important areas like conference rooms and team tables were eliminated. Envision's leadership team knew it was time to look for a new home when a heavily used ping pong table had to be dismantled to make room for desk. Bechtel said, we were bursting at the seams. The firm is now in the process of relocating to 900 Mulberry Street, which was the previous home of the Des Moines Fire Department Station Number 1, and more recently, the Des Moines Social Club. A strategic plan process showed that remaining downtown was important to the firm, Bechtel said. 
We're architects, we're planners and interior designers. We feel like the city core is important, that it's the heart of the community. The firm has been involved in helping develop a master plan for the area around a proposed soccer stadium south of Martin Luther King Jr. Parkway. It has also worked with other companies involved with developing the area south of downtown, Bechtel said. Envision is also working with Mercy College of Health Sciences in developing a master plan for the area around its campus at 928 6th Avenue. Bechtel said, we feel embedded in the community here and we've done projects all over the downtown area and we hope to continue to do so. Envision Architecture's decision to relocate to 900 Mulberry Street was a welcome one to the property's owners, Todd Malang, a senior vice president at CBRE Incorporated, and business partner, Tyler Dingo, a CBRE executive vice president. Envision does a lot of historical rehab work, and for them to go into a property that has so much history is really a good fit, Malang said. The two-story former Art Deco-style fire station was built in 1937 and remained in use until 2012 when a new administration maintenance and training facility opened at 2715 Dean Avenue. The station and adjacent shop building were placed on the National Register of Historic Places in 2014. In 2012, the nonprofit Des Moines Social Club purchased the property from the city of Des Moines. The group spent nearly $7 million on transforming the structure into an arts and cultural center. Melo, a pan-Latin-themed restaurant of which Malang is a partner, opened on the street level of the north side of the building in 2014. For a few years, the property buzzed with activity. However, financial problems and the pandemic forced the social club to sell the property. Malang and Dingle bought the former station shop building in June of 2022. Earlier this year, Des Moines Firefighters Union Local 4 acquired the shop building and is using the space for meetings and events. In addition, is allowing members and others to rent the space for family gatherings and other events, Malang said. It's a good way for them to pay for their home. Originally, Malang thought the remaining street-level space next to Melo would be redeveloped into a coffee shop, but that didn't materialize. He said he knew redeveloping the second-floor space would be challenging. We figured the upper floor was going to be difficult to lease, Malang said. Breaking the space up into a lot of smaller pieces is not the most ideal office layouts. A large kitchen on the south side of the second floor presented its own unique challenges, Malang added. There's a lot of things that can be done with that space, but you need the right user. Envision Architecture likes the kitchen and plans on using it weekly, Bechtel said. On Friday mornings, a chef makes breakfast for the staff. Instead of making the breakfast off-site and bringing it into the office, the meal will be able to be made in the second-floor kitchen where foods were once prepared for firefighters. The second floor also includes an area for a handball court used by firefighters. The court's hardwood flooring remains intact and will be refurbished, Bechtel said. The walls around the court have been demolished but will be remembered through our detailing, he said. The area will be used as a design lab. The fire chief's office had been in the northeast section of the second floor. The area's curved exterior wall is filled with windows providing a view of the 9th and Mulberry intersection. Envision will convert the space into a conference room that will likely include a round table Bechtel said. Other formal and informal conference rooms and meeting rooms will be scattered around the remaining areas of the second floor. A mother's room will also be added, 
Workstations will be set up in large open spaces along the north and west sections of the second floor. Bechtel said the first phase of the second floor remodeling is expected to be completed by the end of the year. Additional renovation work is planned, Malang said. There's going to be quite a bit of dollars spent to getting the space to what they want it to be. Envision has a multi-year lease with options for the street-level space not occupied by Melo and all of the second floor, Malang said. Uh, this will allow us to have that strong identity on the street level that we don't have now, Bechtel said. A reception desk will be near the front door and stairs that lead to the second floor, he said. Decisions haven't been made on how the remainder of the street level space will be used. Bechtel noted, however, that there likely will be enough space to set the ping pong table back up. And again, that's an article written by Kathy Bolton of the Business Record. Drake University hosted the president of Kosovo, Riyasha Asamani, on uh, this week for a moderated discussion followed by an audience question-and-answer VIP session. The moderated discussion included several key topics, including the president's path from activist to president, the strengthening of Kosovo's statehood, and the president's response to regional conflict. Drake's ties to Kosovo have included a 2017 partnership with the Kosovo Ministry of Education, Science, and Technology, as well as numerous study abroad and postgraduate job placement opportunities. An announcement of an expanded educational partnership was made during the event, and that uh, event again was earlier this week at Sheslo Auditorium on the Drake campus. Governor Kim Reynolds and the Iowa Economic Development Authority awarded more than $470,000 in grants through seven Empower Rural Iowa grant programs. The funding will support rural initiatives including child care, housing, and leadership development. The City of Logan will use a rural enrichment grant to help implement its first citywide trail system, and the Carroll County Growth Partnership will use a rural innovation grant to build a regional center for entrepreneurs. Rural leadership boot camp grants will help Buchanan and Story counties launch local leadership programs, and seven cities will receive rural housing assessment grants to help understand and improve local housing conditions. The awards are part of Reynolds Empower Rural Iowa initiative, which she created through Executive Order 3 in 2018. Last week, Reynolds announced Executive Order 11, which amends Executive Order 3 and updates the initiative's strategic focus to function as a startup incubator for innovative rural policy, and that's all according to a news release. The city of uh, Norwalk hosted a welcoming ceremony on Wednesday of this week for Jasha Alsamani, the president of the Republic of Kosovo. The event began at the Norwalk City Hall and included an official proclamation by Norwalk Mayor Tom Phillips and the Norwalk City Council, a presentation of a key to the city of, uh, of a key to the city Tasmani, and a presentation about the Norwalk of Fame and dedication of a star in honor of Osmani. The city of Norwalk is particularly proud of its official sister city designation with the city of Ashtri, Kosovo, which has fostered business and trade policies and education exchanges, along with a productive government cooperation between our two communities. Holly Zajac, Norwalk's Economic Development Coordinator, said in a prepared statement, the visit was a part of the Iowa-Kosovo relationship that first started when the Iowa National Guard and the Kosovo Security Force partnered in 2011. 
Soon after, in 2013, the state of Iowa and Republic of Kosovo became sister states. Since then, organizations and cities across Iowa and Kosovo have formed and participated in active relationships. The Iowa Rural Health Association is partnering with Drake University's College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences for Enhanced Management Services. Under the collaboration, Drake's College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences will assume the responsibility of providing management services in Iowa Rural Health Association in an effort to enhance rural health care in Iowa and expand the Rural Health Association's capacity to effectively serve rural communities. As part of the collaboration, Cassidy Gutierrez, professor of health sciences at Drake, was appointed as the director of the Iowa Rural Health Association, and Aaron Ulrich, associate professor of health sciences at Drake, will serve as the director of strategic growth and member engagement for the Rural Health Association. Students from Drake's College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences will get the opportunity to participate in planning sessions and administrative activities while being able to interact with the Iowa Rural Health Association members and partners. Iowa's rural Main Street index increased from 41.4 in September to 43.5 in October, according to Creighton University's rural Main Street index, which was released last week. But the state's farmland price index for October slumped to 45.9 from September 61.5, and its new hiring index fell to 44.2 from 45.9 last month, according to the United States Bureau of Labor Statistics data. Iowa's rural Main Street economy has expanded employment by 0.8% over the past 12 months, with a 1.4% increase for urban areas in the state for the same time period. Terry Engelkin, vice president lender at Washington State Bank in Washington, Iowa, said, Corn and soybean yields are higher than most farmers expected, considering we are in a drought area. The 10 states region overall reading sank to 44.4 from September's 49.5. The index ranges from 0 to 100 with a reading of 50 representing growth neutral. Ernie Goss said, uh, Ernie Goss, who's Creighton University's chair in regional economics, said, This is the weakest recorded reading for 2023 and points to weaker farm and non-farm economies. Despite this weakness, only 27% of banks reported tightening credit standards for farmers, while 34.5% indicated that their bank had tightened credit standards for businesses in their areas. Bankers were asked what the greatest challenge to farming profitability over the next 12 months is, and 44% said low or failing or low or falling crop prices. Meanwhile, 22% said rising or high interest rates. 14.8 said rising or high farm input costs, 7.4% said trade barriers and trade restrictions, and the remaining 11% named other factors such as low hog prices and marketing of crops. In other findings from the report, the farmland price index dropped to 55.56, that's about 9% down from September. The farm equipment sales index increased slightly. The loan volume index climbed, the checking deposit index slumped, and the index for certificates of deposit and other saving instruments increased uh, from 59 uh, to 59.6 from September's 59.3. Other findings include that new hiring index stayed unchanged. 
Despite the weaker readings, rural areas in the region continue to experience a healthier job market than urban areas in the same 10 states. The Business Confidence Index dropped to 24.1 from 26.8 in September. Goss said that this month's reading is the most negative outlook recorded since May of 2020. Over the past 12 months, the Regional Conference Index has fallen to levels indicating a very negative outlook. Home sales index increased to 40.4 in October from September's reading of 37.0. And finally, the retail sales index dropped to 46.3 from 48.1. Goss said that higher consumer debt and elevated interest rates are cutting in to retail sales. Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds announced a $4.84 million in grant awards to 10 community colleges in Iowa to support new equipment and the creation or remodeling of driver training facilities. The grants will help support the building, purchasing, or remodeling of training infrastructure that prepares drivers for meeting commercial driver's license requirements. The funding will allow the college's CDL programs to add an estimated 1,305 more program participants to their annual class size. Funds will be administered as reimbursement, and the programs must offer competency-based training courses and or a training course that allows students to complete training and take the licensing exam within a 30-day window. Colleges receiving grant funds have agreed to a five-year tuition freeze for the CDL programs, and once the projects from the award is completed. You are listening to this week's edition of the Business Record for the week of October 26th. Our thanks to the folks at Business Publications for providing a copy of the Business Record to Iris so that we can read it for you. If you have any comments on this or any other Iris program, please give us a call at 515-243-6833. And now back to the Business Record. Delta Dental of Iowa will host its next virtual green room on Help Wanted, Trends and Strategies for Iowa's Workforce. That'll be held at noon on November 8th. Ron Cox, the owner of Midwest Workforce Strategies, and April Schmaltz, Delta Dental of Iowa's interim co-CEO, will discuss Iowa's population and growth trends and how they compare to other states. They'll also share strategies for finding a variety of workers and how to compete for employees. The Green Room is a conversation series hosted by Dental Dental, I'm sorry, Delta Dental of Iowa that aims to help business leaders gain insights for managing, motivating, and achieving continued success, success for their businesses and employees. According to Iowa Workforce Development, Iowa's unemployment rate is 2.9% and employers across the Midwest are facing worker shortages. And another article about uh, workforce, employers will have to work to determine their in-office culture and manage openings with ongoing labor challenges in 2024. According to employment experts who participated in the Business Records Job Outlook panel discussions that were held on October 19th. During the event, the Business Record also named Jessica Meisner, Vice President of Human Resources at Unity Point Health, as a 2023 Denton's Davis Brown Human Resources Professional of the Year. Panelists participating in the virtual event were David Lido, he's the CEO of Palmer Group, Janae Sakink, Senior Vice President of Talent Development at the Greater Des Moines Partnership, Omardi Abdallah, Vice President of Family and Workforce Programs at the Oak Ridge Neighborhood. Kathy Anderson, Division Administrator in Business Engagement at Iowa Workforce Development. And Peter Orzem, 
He's a professor of economics at Iowa State University. Broadlawn's Medical Center hosted an open house and ribbing cutting ceremony last week at the newly renovated Broadlawn's Variety Pediatric Clinic located on the lower level of the medical office building at 1801 Hickman Road in Des Moines. The 1,700-square-foot pediatric clinic provides health screenings, vaccinations, acute and chronic care, and treatment of injuries. The remodel was designed to enhance the efficiency of the space with improvements to intake, patient flow, safety, and the addition of three exam rooms, according to a news release. As a public health care provider, Broadlawns accepts patients with Medicaid and Medicare health coverage, as well as those with commercial insurance. A World Food Prize side event on Tuesday will cover the relationship between global food insecurity and threats to U.S. national security, including migration, radicalization, environmental degradation, and lost economic growth. Panelists will discuss how support for agriculture development and innovation can help mitigate multiple security concerns and benefit global stability. The event, which will start with the reception at 6 p.m., will include a virtual and in-person option in room 305 at the Iowa Event Center in Des Moines. Opening remarks will be at 6.30 p.m. Speakers will include Manjit Misra, who is the director of the USDA National Institute of Food and Agriculture, United States Senator Joni Ernst, Tricia Bell, the CEO of the Farm Journal Foundation, Edwin Price, professor at Texas A&M University, Tucker Kuhn, Executive Director of Roots of Peace, Kip Tom, former United States Ambassador to the United Nations Agencies for Food and Agriculture in Rome, and Bram Govertz, he's the Director General of the International Maize and Wheat Improvement Center. Naomi C. Young Wittestruck has been named the Chief Equity and Talent Officer for the United Way of Central Iowa. Wittestruck will join the United Way on October 30th. In her new role, she will guide the organization's internal and external equity initiatives. Mary Sellers, United Way of Central Iowa president, said the work is a priority for the organization and the community, and we are confident Naomi C. Young Wittestruck's combination of experience and leadership is exactly what our organization needs. Wittestruck previously served as Director of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at DMAC, where she worked to build system-wide DEI initiatives throughout every campus of the college to create a more diverse, equitable, and inclusive learning environment. Prior to that, she served in statewide and regional leadership positions with the Iowa Conference of the United Methodist Church, leading the team's advocacy, outreach, education, and training for leaders on DEI and justice initiatives. According to a news release, Wittestruck has also been a national trainer, facilitator, and organizer for United States Headquarters of the Fellowship of Reconciliation, organizing high school students, college students, and young adult activists from across the country for various national justice initiatives in Minneapolis, Philadelphia, New York City, and Washington, D.C. Wittestruck said in a prepared statement, I am excited to help support and advance the dedicated efforts of United Way of Central Iowa and our community in building awareness, understanding, and commitment to issues of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. I am thrilled to have the opportunity to be a part of this impactful team of leaders. Wittestruck has also served on the board for Monsoon Asians and Pacific Islanders in Solidarity in Des Moines, was a member of the Cornell College Board of Trustees, as well as serving in various leadership capacities on boards and commissions 
She also has volunteered for DEI nonprofit organizations in central Iowa. She was hired following a national search conducted in partnership with the search company Koya Partners. North Rock Partners, a Minneapolis, Minnesota-based full-service financial and lifestyle advisory firm and Salmon's Financial Group, a Midwest-based financial services company, announced a partnership aimed at enhancing and expanding a client-centric approach to the traditional wealth management industry. Part of the partnership is Salmon's financial purchase of a majority stake in North Rock. With $5 billion in assets under management, North Rock's personal office model serves more than 1,500 clients with personalized advisory services, including investments, estate planning, and philanthropic giving. According to a news release, the new partnership will bring together North Rock's advice-led model and Salmon's shared vision and strong capital position. We built North Rock on a steadfast commitment to put our clients first and deliver a personalized experience that extends beyond their financial goals to help them live their best life. That's a statement from Rob Nelson, the CEO of North Rock Partners. He continued, our future with Salmon's financial group allows us to both accelerate our growth and do so with excellence to bring our personal office to more clients in more markets. Salmon's Financial Group shares our vision of the future and our innovative partners in our journey to transform wealth management and advice industry. In addition to its suite of services for corporate leaders, business owners, and family offices, Northrock has also launched several divisions, including Northrock X, which supports athletes and entertainers, Foundation X, which supports philanthropists and foundations, and NRX, NRX Hockey, which supports professional hockey players from around the world. Salmon's Financial is privately owned with member companies in the financial service industry. It has $117 billion in generally accepted accounting principal assets. Eshvan Dinshaw, CEO of Salmon's Financial Group, said in a statement, We've been carefully assessing market opportunities to grow our successful business, specifically in wealth management, which is a natural fit for us given our economic strength, stability, and decades-long track record of leadership in financial services. As we defined our strategy, we conducted a comprehensive search, and North Rock Partners consistently rose to the top of our list. Rob and his leadership team shared their vision of delivering better advice to clients and their unwavering commitment to client-centric services was abundantly clear in every conversation, drawing us naturally to the prospect of cementing a partnership. The City of Des Moines and A-Mid-Iowa Organizing Strategy, uh, acronym AMOS, are accepting applications from community stakeholders interested in sitting on the advisory committee for proposed community land trust in an effort to reserve land for permanent affordable housing. Applications opened on October 18th and will close November 3rd, according to a news release. Officials in Amos, Amos said that the land trust will be classified as a nonprofit organization with a goal to provide a supply of sustainable housing for residents with low to moderate incomes and strengthen, stabilize, and preserve neighborhoods. Amos is an alliance of faith-based organizations, neighborhood groups, nonprofits, and social service agencies in Polk and Story counties. 
A fact sheet created by the city detailing the proposed program say the land trust intends to use public and philanthropic funding to purchase properties across the city to designate affordable housing developments. The nonprofit will maintain ownership of the land while the houses built on the properties will be owned by the home buyer. Homes built on land trust properties will be made available at a significantly reduced price for lower income home buyers, the release says. The purchaser will agree to pay an affordable monthly fee to lease the land according to the city document. The land trust could help low-income homeowners afford a home as well as gain equity in the home. According to the city's fact sheet, when the land trust homes are sold to another income-qualified buyer, the seller typically receives their initial investment and a percentage of increased land and home equity. The city anticipates the formation of the CLT to take 9 to 18 months, including program design, organizational structure, and making sure key items are in place to begin implementation. Once formed and a community land trust board is in place, the CLT will be ready to start to implement its vision and gradually start adding properties to its portfolio. According to the Oakland, California-based Grounded Solutions Network, there are more than 225 community land trusts in the United States that are primarily used to reserve land in perpetuity for permanent affordable housing, urban green space, and rural and urban agricultural projects. Although not required, the city says its goal is to have varying expertise on the advisory committee, including at least one licensed realtor or someone who has experience in real estate or real estate financing, at least one nonprofit professional that serves to promote affordable housing, at least one member who works for or has experience in nonprofit residential property development or rehabilitation, one to two members who have participated in affordable housing programs in central Iowa, at least one member who has experience in banking or mortgage lending, and at least one member from the the Mid-Iowa Organizing Strategy. People interested in applying to be on the committee can access the applications, and that's on the City of Des Moines website. The University of Northern Iowa announced that a $25 million gift to its College of Business, which is the largest single gift in the university's history. The gift came from David Wilson, who was a 1970 graduate of UNI and chairman and CEO of Wilson Automotive, Pledged the donation, the university says the gift will start a bold path for the future of the College of Business, fueling strategic initiatives and investing in faculty and students. Upon approval from the Board of Regents, UNI will rename its business college the David W. Wilson College of Business in honor of the gift. This gift to UNI is made in the hope that this money will transform the university, transform the College of Business, Wilson said in a prepared statement. I'm hoping this gift will ensure students will learn to do things the right way. His contribution establishes two funds, the Wilson Endowment for Integrity and Excellence and the Wilson Scholars Fund. The Wilson Endowment for Integrity and Excellence will advance business ethics education and ensure graduates continue to lead in a rapidly changing business landscape, according to a news release. The three goals of the endowment are to elevate ethics and integrity as part of the business college brand, expand business ethics education for business and non-business students, and foster innovation by providing direct funding opportunity for innovation. The Wilson Scholars Fund provides renewable scholarships for students from Tama County, which includes Wilson's hometown of Traer. The first Wilson Scholar will be awarded in the 2024-2025 academic year with the intent that eventually 
four Wilson Scholars will be funded annually. Leslie Wilson, dean of the UNI's College of Business, said the gift represents a new chapter for the college. She said, current and future business leaders need to be equipped to confront the complexities of domestic and global economy. They need the critical thinking skills that allow them to live their values and lead with integrity, Leslie Wilson said in a prepared statement. The David W. Wilson College of Business will elevate ethics and integrity as a core component of who we are through our mission, our curriculum, and our brand. According to the release, Wilson worked with the UNI Foundation to structure his contribution as a challenge gift in the hopes of spurring additional support for the university's Our Tomorrow campaign. Currently, more than 27,000 people have contributed to the university's capital campaign, which launched about a year ago in October of 2022. Wilson made his first gift of $1 million to UNI's business college in 1999, which established the David W. Wilson Chair of Business Ethics. The faculty position educates students about ethics and serves as a resource on the topic for the community. At UNI, Wilson studied religion and philosophy with a minor in business and gained his first experiences working with cars as a mechanic and salesman at a local dealership. He and his young family moved to Arizona after graduation when he started working as a car salesman. Within five years, he would own a 25% stake in the business and leverage the partnership to launch his own dealerships throughout the southwest United States and parts of Mexico, according to a biography of Wilson that was shared in the news release. Wilson has now worked in the automotive industry for over 50 years as the owner and CEO of Wilson Automotive. He oversees 18 automobile dealerships and employ over 2,500 people. Today, Wilson and his family reside in Nevada. Uh, Sarah Dean, a staff writer from the Business Record, wrote this article. Jethro's Barbecue All-Stars Downtown opened this week after more than a year spent converting a former office building into a restaurant. The restaurant is the ninth in entrepreneur Bruce Girlman's chain of barbecue establishments, and it's located at 721 3rd Street in a two-story building that was once home of Master Builders of Iowa's headquarters. The restaurant is just south of the Iowa Events Center, which before the pandemic attracted more than 1.1 million visitors annually. Jethro's Barbecue All-Stars Downtown is located just north of Buzzard Billy's. It's now the closest restaurant to the Iowa Events Center, which includes Wells Fargo Arena, Arena, Community Choice Credit Union Convention Center, and High V Hall. Grohman said it's a timeless location, and it's location with spectacular views of the Iowa State Capitol building, downtown, and the Women of Achievement Bridge. You won't get views like that anywhere else. Grohman said he settled on the new restaurant's name for two reasons. First, Wells Fargo is home to several state high school championship tournaments, in addition, the restaurant's menu includes the most popular items from other Jethro's barbecue locations, Girlman said. They are the all-star items we serve. For the next two or so weeks, Jethro's Barbecue All-Stars downtown will be open just for dinner. Girlman said he wants everything to be running smoothly and all the needed staff hired before opening for lunch and weekend brunches. You only have one chance to make a good impression, Girlman said. If we mess it up, customers won't return. Finding qualified people to work at the restaurant has been challenging, Girlman said. He said he is offering hiring bonuses and monetary incentives of up to $1,000 to staff who recruit people hired to work in management positions. We need to be creative with incentives, Girlman said. 
More than 100 people have been hired to work at the restaurant, but more are needed, he said. Converting the 55-year-old office building to a restaurant was difficult. In the end, though, the effort was worthwhile, Girlman said. The restaurant will be built to last. We made as much beautiful Jethro's as you'll ever see. And a little bit about the location. Again, it's located at 721 3rd Street in Des Moines. Hours right now are from 4 to 9 p.m. on Tuesday and Wednesday and 4 to 10 p.m. on Thursday through Saturday. Lunch and brunch on Saturday and Sunday will be added in the coming weeks. What they're checking out the week of October 20th is an ongoing feature. Staff members at the Des Moines Public Library will recommend a business-related book to add to your reading list. Find this and more books like it at the Des Moines Public Library's six locations and online at dmpl.org. And find information on how to get a free library card and all its benefits also at that same website. So the Des Moines Public Library business book pick is the Greatness Mindset, Unlock the Power of Your Mind and Live Your Best Life Today. That's written by Lewis Howells. Why you should read it? Building on years of research and discoveries, New York Times bestselling author Lewis Howells shares science-backed strategies from experts in their personal stories that can help you learn or help you lean into your purpose and live your authentic life. Among the takeaways Howells hopes you have are identifying the cause of self-doubt, and conquering those fears that hold you back, manifesting your greatness to make the most impact in your work and personal life, and more. And again, that book is The Greatest Mindset, Unlock the Power of Your Mind, and Live Your Best Life Today by Lewis Howells. And another feature of the business record is an article written by Michael Crum, and it's entitled A Closer Look, Stephanie Oppo, Executive Director of Icon Water Trails. Stephanie Oppo looks to her family for inspiration when it comes to helping Iowa, um, the Icon Water Trails, reach its full potential as a recreation and placemaking attraction that can help the region attract and retain talent and improve water quality throughout Central Iowa. She started as Icon's new executive director on September 25th. She grew up spending outdoors picnicking and birdwatching at Big Creek. Her parents and grandparents were fossil hunting on Sundays, and she recalls getting up at 5 a.m. with her oldest child when he was little and watching the sunrise at Jester State Park near Granger. Iowa spaces have provided such meaning for me personally that I am so thrilled to be here and start to contribute to advance this for the next generation of people, Apple said. She will also draw on her past professional experiences, Director of Work-Based Learning at DMACC, Associate Director of Programs for the Robert D. and Billy Ray Center at Drake, working at DMAC to advance manufacturing partnerships on behalf of all 15 community colleges with the Iowa Association of Business and Industry and with FEMA doing flood recovery work. With ICON, there's that large public infrastructure federal grant piece that I absolutely loved, getting to work with different jurisdictions, public works department. So pulling those parallels, I learned a ton about political engagement, about the multi-layers of government, a ton about public-private partnerships, and about workforce development. So I really feel like all these positions I have had build upon one another to prepare me for this. Business Record asked her, does your background allow you to work, allow you to look at the work of ICON through a different lens? Her reply, I think I do bring a unique perspective because I've seen public-private partnerships and I've seen things from the federal side of things and federal funding and how we can bring that in. 
I also have a lot of connectivity around what do youth want and how do we retain our talent in the state and learning that young Iowans really care about their community and want to see their values enacted and to know how many jurisdictions, how many private companies are investing in this and checking all the boxes, not only the recreational piece and the water quality piece, but also the commitment to central Iowa that has a huge potential to impact the workforce, and I really like all those things. They asked her to describe her management style. My approach is always open to operate, is always to operate with the highest integrity as possible. That is consistent and clear communication, integrity in our policies and our practices. I love to be clear about setting expectations, but also flexible. My philosophy as a leader is that people do good work when they are empowered and they are trusted. I really focus on that. I want everybody that works with me to be successful, so I'm focused on what they're trying to get out of it and helping them make sure their needs are met. What excites you about this position? Everything. I feel like this work of ICON, my family is going to directly benefit from this, and if my family benefits from it, there's a lot of other families that will benefit from it as well. I think it's an opportunity to really shape something that exists, but that we have not fully revealed its potential. You think about all the paved trails and what that opened up in recreation, business connectivity, breweries that have popped up. We have these waterways that people are not navigating, and they're hidden gems. And if we can activate that, it brings this whole other dimension to the community, and I love that. Uncovering what's there in our natural resources. I love seeing so many people at the table excited about that. Excuse me, I don't shy away from big, complicated projects. I thrive in that environment because it gets my brain going in a bunch of different ways, and I just love that. What is your view of ICON as a placemaking workforce development tool? When folks are thinking about staying or coming here, they're looking at the schools, they're looking at the communities, and as we continue to see water talked about nationally, it's part of people's thought process when they're evaluating where they want to be. It's as much of that placemaking piece as anything else. It's not only that personal piece, but it's also industry, economic opportunity, whether they're using that water in their product or because it's workforce connectivity. We have opportunities to create great, incredible features. If we do that well in a way that takes into account all the conditions, we can also do some improvements to help water quality. Tell us something about yourself that people may not know. Uh, She replied, I like to do embroidery, and I embroider clothes and give them to my friends. What book have you recently read? Uh, I've read the book of the Unknown World by Kale Kalia Yang. I'm two-thirds of the way through it. It is a collection of stories from refugees all over the world that have made it to live now in Minnesota. It's their stories, and it's absolutely stunning. and provides incredible perspectives, this personal narrative about their experience. I think it's incredibly valuable for the world we're living in now to understand and humanize these people and that they're so much like us and that connectivity. I love it. Now, at a glance uh, about Stephanie, uh, she's 43 years old, her hometown, Norwalk. She's married, has five children, her education. She has a bachelor's degree in history at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, a master's of public administration at Drake University, and a Ph.D. in education also at Drake. Her activities, she likes to hike, cycle, attend live music, spending time with family and friends, and she was a member of the Business Record 40 Under 40 
class of 2020. And again, that profile on her was done by Michael Crum, a senior staff writer at the Business Record. Iowa's unemployment rate ticks up to 3%. Iowa's seasonally adjusted unemployment rate in September increased slightly to 3%. The second straight month, the rate has increased. Iowa Workforce Development reported today. In addition, Iowa's labor force participation rate was 68.6%, and that's down from 68.7% in August. The state agency attributed the drop to college students leaving the workforce to return to school. The number of unemployed Iowans increased to 52,800 in September. That's up 5% from August when there were 50,200 unemployed people in the state. U.S. unemployment rate in September was 3.8%, the same as it was in August. Three speakers are set to inspire at the Fearless Annual Celebration. You have until November 1st to sign up for this. To celebrate Fearless, the Business Records Initiative to empower Iowa women to succeed in work and life, a lineup of inspiring women will share their stories of fearlessness and courage. And here's you can learn a little, little about the inspiring speakers. First up is Heidi Ernst. She's a 74-year-old physical therapist who has long believed in practicing what she preaches to patients and has done powerlifting, swimming, and scuba diving. After her 524th dive on June 7th in the Bahamas, a shark attacked her as she was climbing the boat ladder after competing, completing the dive. She had to have her left leg amputated below the knee at a trauma center in Miami. She lives in Marshalltown. Abigail Johnson is the founder and CEO of Veterans Tech Support, which offers classes in technology basics to military veterans in eastern Iowa. Johnson started a nonprofit in 2021 when she was 14 years old. Two years ago, Johnson saw a need to help older veterans gain computer skills and realized that she could do something about it. A grant helped her get Veterans Tech Support off the ground, and now classes are offered regularly in the Scott County area. Johnson lives in Bluegrass, Iowa, which is just west of the Quad Cities. Now 16 years old, Johnson has plans for veterans' tech support to grow, and she's looking ahead toward the next moves in her own education and professional careers. Monique Scarlett founded Unity in the community in Sioux City after the slaying of of 17-year-old Trayvon Martin in Florida in 2012. Scarlett has a son. Savior, and she wanted to do whatever she could to keep him and everyone in the community safe. Unity in the community has a close ongoing relationship with the Sioux City Police Department and other law enforcement. Scarlett's goal is to make Sioux City a welcoming, safe, empowering community for everyone, and her dreams aren't small. In September, Scarlett was one of several partners who came together to host Deaf Awareness Night at a football game. The play-by-play of the Big Sioux North versus Sioux City East game was signed by an ASL interpreter. Scarlett, age 56, works full-time at U.S. Bank in addition to leading Unity in the community, which is a nonprofit. Event attendees will be seated at a table with female leaders, including some of our past Women of Influence honorees who will lead powerful discussions to share perspectives and insights on Work and life attendees will build additional connections with leaders and other participants as they rotate to different tables throughout the event. Our annual Fearless publication and business record will also be available. As part of our Fearless core values, this event will create an atmosphere where everyone has a seat and a voice at the table. 
This interaction will give uh, attendees not only a chance to learn from others' experiences and engage in topics facing women in the workplace, but also be able to have the opportunity to develop and deepen their relationship with women across the state. Fearless launched two years ago and has been the business record's privilege to report on gender issues in our weekly special newsletter in the business record. Countless folks have told their stories. In doing so, we've sought to raise up women and gender-diverse folks in our state. That's worth celebrating. And the business record hopes you'll consider attending and sharing information about this event with your friends and colleagues. And again, the date for that is Wednesday, November 1st, from 10 a.m. to noon at the Des Moines Marriott, and you can register on the Business Record website. And you've been listening to the Business Record for the week of October 26th. Uh, We've presented this here in IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind and Print Handicap. It's been my pleasure to read for you. I'm Pat Steele, and thank you for sharing your time with IRIS. IRIS.